Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your next host, Javi. <laughs> and uh, this week, we are now discussing the surprise fourth chapter in the Karate Kid series. This the movie... No one wanted, and yet we got anyway. This movie is from 1994, and it stars Hilary Swank and Pat Morita. And surprisingly, the other there's other people in this too. Like Michael Ironside is in this. Uh, Walton Goggins is in this too. <laughs> Which one's Walton Goggins? Like, is he the guy? Oh, never mind. I just looked him up. He's exactly who I thought he was. Yeah, he was a lot younger. In that. He was. All right. So this movie, I have no idea who came up with it and decided. You know, we should probably do another grungier '90s version of the neck of the Karate Kid, right? Because it's it's or at least it's what people who have no idea what grunge is thought grunge was, <laughs> and it it's feels... what your parents think grunge was yeah. when you were in high school. It's faux grunge enough that it reminds me of the '90s. Oh, mulatto. <laughs> I don't know. That's like I, I hate that. Like Nirvana is like the I think of when I talk about grunge because I fucking love Nirvana. <laughs> All right. Oh god. So we are now ditching the Valley of Los Angeles for the very first time in this franchise. Well. Even though Karate Kid 2 all took place in Okinawa, still, this feels like... This chapter feels very different from the first three movies that we've reviewed in the series. Wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent, because Gone is the beautiful backdrop of industrial LA. And hello, (laughs) suburban background of Boston. Yeah, we are in Boston now. Um, The only person to come back to do this movie from any other movie in the franchise besides Pat Morita, I believe, is Bill Conti, the composer. (laughs) Literally no one wanted to come back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've talked about our experiences with a lot of movies in this franchise, with all the other movies in this franchise. This is where uh, this is going to be an episode where... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where I am going to say things that people are not going to want to hear me say, but I'm going to say them anyway. He's going to say things we're going to all disagree with, and we're going <laughs> to shout at him to stop, and he'll do it out of spite. <laughs> this is right. a spite-fueled episode, I have a feeling. <laughs> all right, so this movie is actually Bad. the... I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it is the Karate Kid movie that I have seen the most in my life. And the reason why, and I know we've talked about this with other podcast episodes for other movies, but, you know, I was a big watcher of the Disney Channel in the early aughts. Now, this movie was a theatrical release, even though it feels direct-to-video, right? You could have fooled me, because when we watched this, I even (laughs) asked you, was this a DCOM because you told me you watched this on the on the Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This movie is actual canon for the Karate Kid to the point where 
a couple of the creative forces behind Cobra Kai, I think is as recently as December, we're talking about that they that they have thrown ideas around for how to incorporate the next karate kid into Cobra Kai. Um but this movie did have a theatrical release and it is it's it's a massive bomb. Like this movie was so poorly received that it basically if this movie did not appear on Disney Channel in the 2000s and they did not play it once a week and I didn't decide to watch it once a week myself and however many other people who were watching Disney Channel at the time. However like this, many people you could trick into watching it with you. <laughs> like, this movie would have never found an audience. But I think because it was on Disney Channel, it was just... It almost became a comfort watch. You know, <laughs> like, like movie as you're growing up, sometimes you just see like a movie on TV all the time, and you're just like, all right, fine, I'll get into that. This movie became a comfort watch to me because of that. Even though I hadn't seen it, in about 20 years at this point it's and... funny for me it was literally whatever i could find on tnt or tbs and that's why i watched a bunch of crappy like steven seagal movies <laughs> as a child so this I, this movie actually is my it is my entry point into the karate kid i hadn't seen any of the original uh ralph macho movies until after i saw this mm-hmm so this movie is my first impression of Karate Kid. And that is all I will say about that. What is your experience with the next Karate Kid? Why do you always start with like the worst one? <laughs> <laughs> so my experience with the Karate Kid was, I think, much like you. I... um watched it probably in passing a couple times on like Disney Channel or some other channel which I don't remember like honestly the only I don't remember exactly watching it but I do remember it being around and I remember being like I like I vividly remember certain scenes from the movie but I don't like before we watched it for this episode I couldn't tell you what exactly was going on in the series so it's one of those weird movies that was a fever dream where i knew it took place and i knew it was at some point i had ingested this content when i was like young but i could not tell you anything else about it other than the fact that it exists all right so let's go ahead and get into this uh mr miyagi travels to boston to attend uh some sort of Funeral? ceremony honoring the members of you know the people who fought in the 442nd reg reg regiment yeah um regimental combat team which is just regiment yeah yeah so and again this is this works with canon because as we remember from the original karate kid uh mr miyagi was a world war ii veteran and at the time that he was fighting world war ii his you know, poor wife was in an internment camp and gave birth to a child that did not survive and neither did Miyagi's wife. You know, like it is a, the movie at least starts, you know, it at least starts somewhere that kind of makes sense. And in, in that, you know, again, this is part of Mr. Miyagi's canon. Um, it, he is, 
he is there with a woman named Louisa Pierce, who is the widow of, I guess, um, you know, a a officer. It who... was um, it was uh, Miyagi's like commanding officer. So it was like gotcha. He was the guy that was in charge. Uh, he was pretty much what's his name? Um, crap. Why am I blanking on Ferris Bueller's Day Off, dude? That that Civil War movie where the guy was like the leader of the uh, integrated regiment. It's like the same thing. The, Glory. You're yeah. talking about Matthew. You're talking about Matthew Broderick and Glory. Yeah, that one. You mm. get. It. You know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. But it was like the same thing with Jack, uh, Lieutenant Jack Pierce. He was like the one that was leading this integrated regiment that had, um, like Japanese soldiers and American soldiers fighting side by side. Okay. And right away, this movie, as we talked about, it feels really different. But given the fact that we've just seen three really similar movies and that we are going to return to the world of Cobra Kai, which is also going to take place in SoCal, like it's nice to get a little bit of a break from it before we come back to this world again. Um, the funny thing is this movie will never tell you what happened with Daniel. <laughs> uh, Mr. Miyagi will make like some sort of passing comment about you know oh i was with boy daniel's i live with boy danielson but like outside of that it's like it's not gonna make too much more uh, i trained him wrong as a joke it was great <laughs> <laughs> we uh, all laughed at him <laughs> we cut from uh from the ceremony right to dinner where mr miyagi is you know uh telling stories along with uh you, you know, know telling with, stories with pierce's widow and you know it's funny <laughs> it's funny because it's like it's always weird that when these movies particularly these sequels try to like add different layers to the Miyagi story mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like this movie just it, it stretches it in ways that you know the other three movies did not <laughs> and it stretches this in ways that's going to be slightly shocking as the movie goes along how so? We, uh, I will get into that. Ah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but uh, as they're having dinner, that is where we are introduced to the character of Julie Pierce, played by Hilary Swank, uh, <laughs> who... If you wanted a grunge fucking fuck you dad moment, boy, is that like Julie's first scene. <laughs> she just comes in swinging, you're not my dad, or, you know, I think she was talking to the grandma, right? Like, she was yeah. shit talking to the grandma. And then my parent. We get the most unnecessary expo dump I've ever heard in a film. And that's what really bothers me in this scene because it's not just like the fact that it's an expo dump. It's like someone writing how they think teenagers sound. And there is nothing worse than adults trying to sound like teenagers. <laughs> but we get that we get that line where it's like, "You're not my parent. My parent died in a car accident." Yeah, like, and I think it's funny because we we watch this movie and we like when we watch these movies, we'll text right, like before we actually get on a on a call and record an episode. We do like to kind of like live text as we're watching these movies 
And I do think it's it like I think one of the things we laughed at was, yeah, it is one of those things where she just like has to blurt that out to her grandmother. And you understand it because obviously you have to give exposition to the audience. <laughs> I was like, but imagine I was like, all you have to do is just like imagine uh, Julie's grandmother who like not only has to deal with like <laughs> the fact that she lost a son, but also a husband. And then to be constantly reminded by like her like like if she's not grieving by her fucking daughter it's pretty annoying when you think about it is it ever explained who uh julia's is it julia is that her name no louisa right yeah louisa is the grandmother and yeah, is it uh, ever julie explained... is the granddaughter is it a, does it ever explained whether uh that's where louisa is julie's like maternal or paternal god god i mean grandmother I think you're left to infer that uh, it is her fraternal grandmother because Jack Pierce is the grandfather. Julie's last name is Pierce, so you. Would... Oh, that makes. And sense. I think she even. Yeah. I think there is a point in the movie where uh, where she does make mention of her father's karate. Now that makes. Now that's a little bit weirder to me. That's like why the why the grandma calls Julie by the mom's name. That is that's yeah. what sets everything <laughs> off, and I'm just it's like, a, <laughs> yeah, that's a thing where you're just like, it almost feels like a continuity error when you think about it. Yeah, and like they like <laughs> like maybe people got two different versions of the scripts, and Louisa thought she was supposed to be like they the the maternal gram. I don't know. It was weird, but yeah, the whole inf- like the whole expo dump is goofy. But I mean, it's that's the other thing is I like I was I was talking to a friend of the show Eddie about it, and uh, you know like I really like the the I think it's one of them either Ebert or, or I think it was Roger Ebert who said that it's like really important or I think Joey I think I was talking to Joey. Point is. Uh, it's really important to kind of judge these movies based on also the time they were made and the thing is expo dumps were like such a big thing in the 90s too. <laughs> like it was just such a commonplace like style of filmmaking and kind of progressing your story along where it's like i can't really give it too much flack for this film because everyone was doing it it's just a stupid narrative tool in my opinion and i'm glad like filmmakers are starting to move away from that because it's like just show me don't tell me jesus but as we move forward uh we get to see what life is like for julie um when and you know we find out that her school is pretty pretty much a pretty crappy place there's bullies that uh roam the halls looking like they're (laughs) part of a jrotc program all right so in this movie we are no longer dealing with cobra kai the same way we're no longer dealing with Daniel, but now we are dealing with the alpha elites, which is this like such a stupid name. <laughs> if you thought Cobra Kai was stupid, at the very least, it makes sense for someone to be named Cobra Kai in a like a karate movie. But Jesus Christ, alpha elites is just that is people trying too hard to be cool like that is what people that 
wear tactical vests that are two sizes too small like to call themselves like jesus christ (laughs) well you know what it makes sense that they wouldn't call themselves something that's karate related because unlike the other movies in this franchise this movie like these guys are not they don't practice karate they are not karate martial artists like they are they are literally just this as you said this weird bizarre high school rotc program that hands out like suspensions monitors hallways and this is taken this is taken directly from the wikipedia because it like i'm I'm just gonna read the line off because there's so much going on at school julie meets and befriends eric mcgowan a teenage security guard in training and pledge for the school security fraternity the alpha elite (laughs) that's that's exactly how i would describe him that is school security fraternity sure yeah that was, and you know like we'd probably be more comfortable just calling them white supremacists now these days oh well nobody in that freaking group was non-white so i mean it's very clearly you know a lot of these guys as adults are you know now storming the capital as we speak <laughs> they probably walk around with tiki torches <laughs> that was definitely the vibe I was getting with their extra medium t-shirts. They definitely, you know, voted for Trump only because of his economic policies. Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> Not because of the wall or anything. <laughs> and their leader is actually, I think, I mean, in terms of just the actor, the actor is more famous than, you know, the guy who played John Kreese. This guy is uh Michael Ironside and his name is Colonel Dugan <laughs> in this and he is like if Crease had an eviler half brother that wasn't Terry Silver <laughs> it's like I don't know it's East Coast Crease is maybe what you could call him at this point he feels like a toned down version of Michael Ironside and Starship Troopers just radicalizing the youth training them. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was really that's really the only parallel i'm gonna point out i just wanted to bring up that michael ironside was in starship troopers because well, i freaking about, love that movie the thing about this movie too is just that like it, it's it, the early part of this movie is all over the place right we get this subplot with miyagi we get uh, Julie and her grandmother. We get introduced to the Alphas. We get introduced to Eric um, from Julie. We get introduced to a hawk that sits in some sort of bizarre birdcage on the roof of the school that apparently no one knows about except Julie. And Julie goes up there and feeds it. And this is the part of it where, like, I, I swear, growing up, I thought this was a Disney Channel original movie. Because it it does feel like some TV movie stuff. Like, like who Hollywood doesn't movies... realize there's a fucking hot coop at the top of your school? <laughs> yeah, I don't it's understand stupid. it. I and it and it makes no sense. And it also again, it's all over the place. These guys don't practice karate. Uh, there's no they just real beat reason. The shit out of each other. There's no real reason why Julie even needs to learn karate in this other than, I guess, Miyagi thinks that it's going to teach her some sort of discipline. Well, if I remember correctly, the whole reason he saw any potential in her 
was because of that time or be yeah because in that, that scene in the film after uh for some reason louisa leaves julie to go to california to tend uh miyagi's bonsai garden <laughs> okay all right, so it, it's it's weird enough when we've gone through the movies and we talk about how Daniel's mother did this. It is even weirder when this lady is totally fine with taking a vacation to California and leaving her daughter to just, like, stay with this guy who she maybe barely knows. Like, <laughs> like I mean, sure, it seems like she knows Miyagi, but I Miyagi lives in Los Angeles. Like, how often does Miyagi really ever get to boston and you have you know to I mean? assume it's been years since yeah. <laughs> louisa and miyagi have had any sort of contact or same thing with jack and miyagi like there's nothing telling you that miyagi is like super close to to this family and there's no reason for louisa to trust this rando stranger this like 60 year old man <laughs> to take care of like his of her granddaughter but yeah. for some reason she does it. Okay, whatever. We'll suspend disbelief for just a moment. Um, but you know, we, we get that scene where she gets into an argument with Miyagi because Miyagi's trying to convince her to kind of like get her school, get her classes back up because she'd been suspended after an incident <laughs> at school. And and so you get the scene where Miyagi's trying to get her to do her homework. And he like just barges in her room and she's getting dressed coming home from school and she's like in a bra and basically like rightfully yells at him to get the hell out of her room. <laughs> so uncomfortable, but you know this was probably played up in the 90s to be like, oh, look how stuck up she is. <laughs> well, you know, I think to be fair, I think I think it does it does fit it does fit the story in that you know you could imagine that again Miyagi has spent all this year all these years hanging out with Daniel. They're guys, right? Like it's different with guys, and I think a lot of the point of this movie is it's different with girls. Like you know, like that is uh, that is some very poignant social commentary right there. Next Karate Kid. Well, it, it is, is different with girls. I mean, you know. So I've been told. I'm from, I I don't know. I've never met a girl. <laughs> I make podcasts for not even a living. <laughs> oh, um, so, you know, we get the scenes where he's trying to get Julie basically back on track. Uh, he goes to her school to pick her up. And she ends up, instead of going with Miyagi, uh, she is chasing after eric so that he doesn't tell on her because she has an illegally placed hawk like in a bird cage up there which you know she's saying that she wants to mend it and stuff like that but you know mm -hmm. like you need to get in you need to call animal control you need to get in touch with like a vet or someone who can take care of it especially <laughs> in days like now right like because mm -hmm. If we want to be totally honest, one of the reasons why we're in this global pandemic in the first place is because people who have no idea like what kind of diseases animals are carrying are now catching animal diseases and spreading them to the entire planet. So <laughs> yep. let this be a lesson to all of us. You know, if you if you have a hawk that's got a broken wing, even if you'd like to help them, uh get in touch with the right people so that you don't trigger the next global pandemic. 
Yeah, because if someone fucking tries to nurse a hawk to back to life and I have to spend another year working from home because of it, <laughs> I'm just punching everybody. <laughs> Everyone is catching hands. <laughs> we were very lucky that we didn't get COVID-94 uh, during the next Karate <laughs> COVID-69. <laughs> nice. Um, so she like so her answer to like you know making sure that Eric doesn't tell on her is hopping in his car hopping in this strange man's car and like riding with him to his work her uh, self preservation instinct is just like non-existent <laughs> yeah she, because not only that but like it's pretty clear that all the alphas like want to do some very very dangerous gang rape activities if nothing else like just based on the way they talk to her and about her the entire movie and this is a pg movie (laughs) (laughs) and the entire time they're insinuating how they're gonna rape her and i'm just like what the fuck is going on why is no one stopping these guys yeah and the and, and miyagi instead of like you know being able to find her and look for her and stuff like that he's actually stopping eric from getting his ass beat from the alphas mm-hmm. and uh you know it's just it, this is all set up to 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 have the tension between julie and miyagi throughout the movie the idea is that this is different uh, from him and daniel because him and daniel they come together pretty quickly in that original movie you know like mm-hmm. miyagi takes a shine to him for some unknown reason really but he does like immediately try to reach out to daniel and develop some sort of relationship with him Mm -hmm. this movie where like whereas daniel seems receptive to it you know at least more so in that movie and genuinely wanting to learn julie is a lot more standoffish and not ready to receive any of these miyagi do teachings Mm mm-hmm Oh man. One thing I did want to talk about real quick because we we're on the topic of the alpha elites. You want to talk about your boy uh Ned Flanders? No, what was his name? <laughs> Ned Ned Randall. Jesus Christ, that's such a villain name. <laughs> Cause uh yeah, Ned Randall being well first of all all the alpha elites all the main alpha elites look like they're in their like mid-20s <laughs> everyone mm-hmm. looks jacked and shredded and i'm like how are these guys even high school students but you did point out some that re- that interesting observation about how um you know the guy and you know the guy looks a lot like David, daniel russo like he's just a lot like his complexion him like was different um, as opposed to like the villain in the first movie being Johnny Lawrence, this blonde haired, blue eyed, like beach boy. Well, the funny thing is, it's almost like I heard it on a podcast. I think it was now playing like mm-hmm. 10 years ago or so. They did it and they talked about how they thought, like, you know, and I don't want to get into material from another podcast, but oh, their yeah. podcast is definitely great. So go ahead and check it out. But mm-hmm. um, they talk about how it's like kind of like evil versions of Daniel. And for me, what it kind of reminds me of, too, is it's just it's this weird like trade off. Like, you know, like I've read the novel uh, Less Than Zero and I've seen the movie, which is completely different from the book, like almost to the point where they're unrecognizable. But all the characters and it's also like a movie that that, that you know, revolves around rich kids, rich, rich and effectual kids in Los Angeles. 
and it's like all the kids are blonde in the book but when you see them in the movie it's like jamie gertz and uh robert downey jr and it's like all these like black haired like white kids instead of like these like blonde like you know bleach blonde kids which they kind of make it out to be in the book so mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's it's almost like changing it a little bit so it's like it's like yeah the guy who used to be the protagonist almost feels like now we're turning that on its head and he's the guy who's going to be more evil and uh yeah it's just like it's like an army of evil daniels <laughs> it's it's like this evil is what this Daniel. this is what cobra guy would have looked like if terry silver in terry silver's america just a bunch of beautiful <laughs> young italian boys <laughs> beating the shit out of everybody uh, oh man so after i guess uh we you know, after her tumultuous relationship or the tumultuous start to her relationship with Miyagi, uh, Julie ends up getting arrested after trying to go back to the school after hours and to check on Angel, right? To check on her hawk. Yeah, hey, you're in this movie. You're a bird, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she goes to check in on this bird where she ends up getting... Um, accosted again by the alfie elites she was in it was like uh you are in actual danger because it's out of school hours and these like alpha rapists are all in the hallways right now and these motherfuckers actually recreated the kitchen scene from (laughs) (laughs) using that as the goddamn rafter climbing all over the places like while uh julie was hiding under the uh under like where the pots and pans are and i was just like there's no way they just did this and i'm and, you know it's basically the movie's way of telling you these men are predators it definitely like it's hard to argue with that <laughs> <laughs> and when did jurassic park come out 93 so this is like this is a timely reference. Yeah. It was it was it was bizarre and I get what they were trying to say. It was oh, that was stupid. It was also stupid. All right. Like, well, I get it. I get what the I get the visual what the, what it's supposed to mean. Like yeah, it, it solidifies that the alpha elites are like trash, you know, predator dudes. But at the same time, I'm just like, it's it's dumb. Yeah. So, all right. right, let's. This is where the movie really starts to... It either goes nuts or it starts to find its footing. Because... Depending on who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, a bunch of other shit happens, too, that we haven't even gotten into. Like, part of it is, like, uh, the character of Eric, who starts off as an alpha, basically starts to fall in love with Julie. He gets thrown out of the alphas. So he both of their relationship is developing while this whole thing is happening with Julie. Uh, there's, this Julie. Bizarre, there's this bizarre scene where Miyagi's trying to kind of help discipline her or get her to, you know, kind of like open up about what she, you know, why she's, she's basically the way that she is <laughs> and why, you know, she's, why why is this the way you deal with grief basically (laughs) why do you always run from your grief and she goes i'll never tell you and she runs and she literally runs out the door and uh (laughs) there's a scene where a pizza a pizza delivery van like car like 
shows up out of nowhere and she like jumps you know super high and lands on the hood of the car and was frightened because she nearly got killed by a car but Miyagi basically stares at this thing like all right I can teach this girl karate or she's got it it's like this really bizarre moment <laughs> because no it, like i remember that he says he that she out of instinct she goes into tiger stance and leaps on the hood of the car to save herself and she was like you you have good karate instincts you know and then you know she talks about how her dad taught her or like alludes to the fact that her dad and her and her grandfather taught her and that's why it's like it's second nature to her but it was funny because as soon as i saw that mm-hmm. i was like "Ooh, his karate like his karate dingus is happy right now <laughs> his karate like, sense he, is tingling he is going <laughs> so much karate right now <laughs> and you know right. in the back of his head he's like she's not like that other idiot daniel <laughs> i'm gonna so good all right so yeah, we learned that Julie's father taught her karate and that Julie's grandfather taught her father karate mm-hmm. and that Julie's grandfather was taught karate by Mr. Miyagi. So even even though it's hard to kind of like imagine cuz it just it feels like like you almost feel like what was special about him teaching Daniel karate is that that's what he would have done for his own son. It's like and how it's many like, Yagi Do members yeah. <laughs> like are around the world. How many McMiyagi Do's are you gonna build around the country, sir? And to teach all these other people. But uh but you know, they they they'll kind of like find a way around it that I thought was pretty clever uh later in the movie as well. Um but this is the scene where he says, All right, well. You know, Julie, if A, you need some money, like basically Julie has no money, needs a way to start making money for whatever reason. Miyagi gets her for absolutely no reason. Like this movie has these like bizarre like bits in it. Like one of them is Miyagi getting Julie a job babysitting her neighbors. And in the scene where that's happening. Oh my God, I forgot about that. (laughs) It's literally just like this like montage, like scored to, again, it's like something out of a Disney, like kids movie from the nineties. Yeah. They're just shooting Nerf guns at each other. And he's like, Nerf. And then, yeah, then they go to the front door and then it's Miyagi with like a basket of more Nerf balls. (laughs) Like how much money did fucking Nerf put into this movie? For them, it feels like they completely shoehorned a Nerf scene because Nerf was like, we'll give you money. Well, you know what's good about this is at least you know that Mr. Miyagi's bonsai business is doing good because this guy seems to like he's able to fuck off for like for like a month and a half like and hang out with this kid in Boston while Daniel or someone who works with them is like stuck working at the store back in California because you know Daniel and Miyagi opened up opened up the bonsai store together. <laughs> he probably like abandoned Daniel because <laughs> the gi wasn't fitting the way he wanted anymore. <laughs> I mean, you're left to imagine that by 1994, you know, because Karate Kid 3 is supposed to take place in 1985 or 86. 
<laughs> like you're imagine that Daniel's already like ten years older and has kids. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to you're you're supposed to think that the 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 thirty eight year old <laughs> Ralph Macchio is playing a twenty eight year old uh, Daniel Larusso somewhere in this universe. Look, and I'm gonna say this about Hillary Swing. Uh, I'm gonna assume that Clint Eastwood saw the next Karate Kid at some point in his life and said, oh yeah, that is the actress I need to play this lead character in Million Dollar Baby. (laughs) Yeah. See that woman? She's gonna have her neck broken. (laughs) It's really hard to do the Clint Eastwood talk where you talk through your teeth like... And it's almost like Million Dollar Baby is like the grim and gritty reboot of this movie. Like <laughs> where Clint Eastwood is playing the role of Mr. Miyake. It would be hilarious that as Hillary Swank like falls in Million Dollar Baby, it just smash cuts to the hawk flying away. <laughs> And a reel that says that she walked it off and everyone was fine. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen Million Dollar Baby. That's the worst part. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's a good movie, but it's like that scene has been mean to me. <laughs> Million Dollar Baby is a great movie, and Hilary Swank deserved every bit of that Oscar. And I actually do want to watch that movie for this podcast at some point in the future. Well, now we kind of have to since I exposed my. <laughs> now that it's inexplicably tied to this movie forever, and now now that I've made fun of it, I kind of have to watch it. <laughs> But all right, we get the, the we get the Nerf commercial. We get the oh the uh, two week vacation to the Buddhist monastery. All right. <laughs> so again, tell me more how this is your favorite Karate Kid movie. All right. So again, one of the problems with this movie, well, a lot of the problem with this movie is every single time we get into again, like I said before. When we get into the Miyagi extended universe and all these other like characters that he knew before, it makes less and less sense to the character that we knew from Karate Kid 1. And maybe he does hate Daniel because in all the time that he's known Daniel, he never took him to a monastery. <laughs> <laughs> he never took him to the sick-ass monastery so he could learn more like in boston in boston this guy's from southern california (laughs) that's what lee and i am depositing this theory that miyagi do he started like that the buddhist monastery is like the originators and that you know they were the people that taught his father or whatever and they've been living in boston this whole time all right (laughs) but where so when when does an Okinawan immigrant who lives in Southern California and maybe has been to Boston only once or twice in his entire life, when would he had time to forge the lifelong friendships with these monks? <laughs> I never said it made sense. Yeah, I'm just like, saying all the all the creators of this movie knew is that Mr. Miyagi is the. Let's be clear, the mystical person of color 
who is some sort of like e- eastern magician <laughs> he's a wizard that just goes around fucking karateing dudes half to death <laughs> yeah because miyagi is like an on, on another level of invincible here as well despite the fact that he's like 10 years older he can fight like four dudes at once and doesn't even break a sweat. But yeah, when, when Julie ends up getting taken to a monastery by Mr. Miyagi, all I could think of was, you know, I went to school with a lot of people <laughs> who were put in juvie for some pretty obvious, awful, stupid reasons. And I had a lot of friends who spent a lot of time in court <laughs> because, you know, they had legal troubles. And if only they had practiced. If only they. Yeah, if only they had Mr. Miyagi and his, like, Boston Monastery. <laughs> you know what's funny? Monks. You know what's funny is that here in Berkeley, I'm pretty sure there is actually, like, a Buddhist temple, like, somewhere. And it's like, so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I believe that there could be monasteries or there could be places where you do find, like, your traditional idea of what you think monks might look like. So that's not too crazy. That's not too much of a leap for me. What is a leap for me is the giant fucking compound they have. <laughs> where it look literally it looks like a Shaolin temple from China was airlifted and dropped somewhere in upstate Massachusetts. Yeah, it's somewhere in Massachusetts because obviously it takes them hours outside of Boston to actually get to this place and we even get the misadventures of miyagi and julia there like we even get like a road a road trip like bit where they go to a gas station and all the people at the gas station want to fight miyagi because he petted somebody's dog how dare you be old asian and good to animals and they're using that as like (laughs) they're using that as an excuse to also try to sexually assault julie (laughs) Oh my god. And I think one of the things we talked about was, you know, it's really, you know, one of the awful things that's happening in our world right now is uh, all this, you know, hate violence against uh, older Asian Americans in this country. And, uh, you know, it's definitely bizarre, but I guess in some ways kind of comforting to see an older Asian gentleman beat the shit out of, like... (laughs) (laughs) of people in real life because it just like further reminds us of the awful world that we're living in right now (laughs) so you know let's if we're getting serious for a moment please 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 like people you know uh we need to call attention to this kind of stuff because it is absolutely you know not acceptable for us to be attacking older asian people despite what the characters in this movie want to do these times are scary enough with being in a global pandemic and a lot of like social uncertainty going on. The last thing we need is start turning on each other and hurting, especially folks that are very vulnerable among our population. So please, we ask if you can, and you feel comfortable doing so, you know, step in, help folks that need it. If you don't, you know, there's always other ways uh, that you can help out as well, being an ally um yeah it's just hard times and we don't want and you know as we're learning i can at least say here in the bay area what we're finding out is that these assaults have been going on for a lot longer than the news has been reporting 
because as we're learning a lot of uh, folks and or especially older folks in the uh, Asian community didn't want to be a bother and have been wanting to report any of this or come forward to the police. So please, if you do see something, say something. Uh, be as best an ally as you feel comfortable with, as long as you feel safe doing so. Right. All right. All right. That's and now that the, we got that there's out the, of the way. There's the PSA uh, in the middle of our the next Karate Kid review. <laughs> yeah, I bet no one was expecting that, were they? <laughs> no. Yeah. So back to the misadventures. <laughs> back, back to this Boston monastery. <laughs> I know. Back to the oh my god, dude. The all right. So the monastery, of course, is good for some gags because it's always like it's always the juxtaposition of East versus West that always makes us giggle. But at one point, and I swear to Christ, this movie jumps the shark, in my opinion, like seven times. <laughs> but the one that finally gets me is when they're training, uh, you know, the, while they're in the monastery, Miyagi, the whole, like, the whole plan is that he's training, um, he's training uh, Julie to be able to defend herself from the Alpha elites because she, you know, like, one of the things is that even though there's no direct conflict, he's still like she doesn't feel safe with them around so it starts kind of reinvigorating her love and her passion of karate um and the whole the move that she's trying to learn here is the the tiger kick i guess um so the whole thing she's drilling this whole movie is where she's jumping off the rock and trying to get the 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 flying kick as she's uh coming off in midair uh, however, I guess in a in a in in an attempt to teach Julie the importance of mindfulness, for some reason, and trying to like to 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 try to like also show the principles of Zen Buddhism, Miyagi then demonstrates that through the power of concentration, he can catch a arrow out of the air. So we get this scene where he, I, I think he was blindfolded. I don't remember too well. But at one point, you know, like the, everyone is, is all the, um, all the monks are like quiet and stoic and Julie's freaking out. And next thing you know, this guy, you know, one of the monks shoots an arrow right at Miyagi and he manages to catch it, like just pluck it out of the air and zero problems. <laughs> just like, you know, like I was telling Angel, every movie in the Karate Kid franchise has one thing that the student learns that they learn that saves them in the end. And in the first three, we had, of course, the crane kick. We had the uh, drum technique in Karate Kid 2. Uh, Karate Kid 3 was Kata, which I still don't get how that was the one that saved LaRusso, but okay. So so in this one, because Julie spends the entire, like, two weeks drilling the the tiger kick, you're thinking that has to be the move that she's going to bust out to save her ass when she finally confronts Alfie Elite. And I remember texting Angel, I'm like, I swear to God, if she pulls an arrow out of the goddamn <laughs> air to save somebody during the alpha elites, I'm gonna fight somebody. <laughs> yeah, or ultimately just like catches a bullet with her mouth or something. <laughs> I it's all right. Look, <laughs> I've said it before. I, I know I'm not making a good case for why I think this is a good movie. <laughs> it clearly isn't. 
this is kind of like one of those Batman return, the Batman forever things, right? Like where we went through it. I'm going to talk about how stupid everything is. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to like it no matter what I say about it. That is just how it is. <laughs> oh, man. So the Buddhist monks end up uh, also developing a relationship to Ju- with Julie. They end up baking her a cake and celebrating her. What birthday is it supposed to be? You would imagine her 18th birthday, but right? it's hard to even tell, right? Because she looks like she's 25 in this entire movie. <laughs> um, okay, so she went from not really wanting to get along with Miyagi to all of a sudden, all right, I'm going to follow you to this monastery because I got suspended from school. Everyone's totally fine with her just going off the grid for a few weeks and staying at this bizarre place where she seldom has access to a telephone. And you know what's crazy after- to me? What I just realized, no one at the school once asked why Mr. Miyagi's taking care of Julie. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one gave a shit that some random person just shows up to their school to check up on Julie. Like, it's it's stupid. This entire time, she's just gone. No one cares. She literally fucks off for two weeks. <laughs> and the moment she comes back, she starts, like, spouting off Miyagi-isms, like, all over the school. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, so a few days after being in this monastery and getting to know these people, she's all of a sudden loves them to the <laughs> point where her birthday wish here is that all of them could come visit her in Boston. And they all agree to do it, even though you're like, well, you know, th- 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 I'm sure that's going to be at some point in the near future. You're yeah, that like, will oh, be no. this movie. <laughs> that can't possibly be during this movie. <laughs> yeah, and as you said, they leave the monastery. Julie comes back, a whole new person. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you said, starts spouting off Miyagi-isms. Miyagi ends up getting her a prom dress because I guess he's a senior and I guess we're approaching the end of the year. So I, I think you're right. I think she should be 18 around this time if, you know, like it's supposed to be her senior year because I think she did mention something about not doing good in math and that she's just going to get her GED. Like she was like, I remember that being a thing, like her talking about how, there was a possibility of her not graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, also during this time, we find out that uh, the hawk has been, uh, was found by Ned, who actually reported the hawk to animal control um, and gets, uh, yeah, so he ends up getting uh, the hawk taken, pretty much taken into animal control. So uh, Miyagi ends up helping her, helping Julie get the hawk back, and then they have a using his super magical Asian powers from Karate Kid One. He fixes the hawk's wings by and they laughing and rubbing his hands together, much like he did for Daniel. And they, like, send it back out into the wild. By the way, Hillary Swank holding the, like, hawk out looks hilarious because she does look very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, like, I love that Mr. Miyagi is, like, now basically becoming, like, Raiden from Mortal Kombat or some sort of, like, sorcerer. He's just going around training kids in the art of karate and using <laughs> magic to fix their problems. Uh, yeah, so 
but there's like this there there is some sweet stuff that takes place in the middle of this as well because there is a scene where Julie talks about I mean obviously Julie talks about she didn't really want to go to prom Eric ends up asking her to prom uh Miyagi surprises her with the dress and mm-hmm. later he'll even surprise her by actually teaching her how to ballroom dance and this is probably the closest thing anything in this movie will ever come to the Daniel Miyagi scene where he's like drinking himself like <laughs> to unconsciousness uh, the night that he you know shows Daniel the you know basically what happened to his wife mm-hmm. but there's a scene where you know Miyagi likes moves aside all the furniture they're ballroom dancing in the parlor and uh, that's where you know uh, Miyagi basically says that he taught Julie's grandfather karate but Julie's mm-hmm. grandfather actually taught him how to ballroom dance and it feels like there's something that's very symmetrical and just like sweet about the fact that, you know, that, that Julie's dad taught her something that came from Miyagi and Miyagi's teaching Julie something that came from her own grandfather. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a like a way of showing how intertwined and connected these two families are. I don't know why, but I there is a lot of parallels between the like martial arts and dancing. You know, like especially when you're drilling moves and you're learning uh, routines, like well, that in part two, right? Like one yeah. of the things that we talked about with Kumiko and Daniel, and one of really the really great scenes that they had was when they're basically talking about you know the similarities between karate and dancing. And that's what I really like about this scene. Like I felt this scene was actually one of the strong points in the film. Because, again, using the same principle that Julie already knows from karate, he's able to kind of teach her how to do the ballroom dance and he's able to teach her the four steps. So it's really cool how, like, that's kind of like the indirect, like, theme of the film is, like, how close martial arts is to the actual arts. It's like, even though at the same time it is meant for self-defense and you can hurt somebody, but it, it is also very closely uh, related to, um, you know, to something beautiful like dancing. Um, and I think, you know, sorry to get off topic, but yeah, like how, like, I think perfect example is just like, uh, you know, our one of our favorite wrestlers right now, uh, Japanese wrestler by the name of Shinsuke Nakamura, who kind of, he kind of encompasses that, that weird frenzied dancer slash martial artist like at least based on like the style that he wrestles with and that was my wrestling contribution to this episode i feel like every episode of karate kid has had at least one (laughs) all right so uh in at this time in the movie as well the monks have now decided to join people in julie's grandmother's house julie's grandmother's house has like literally just become the party house (laughs) because these rando monks it's not just miyagi is like squatting there but now these rando monks have like shown up to stay there uh throughout prom weekend i guess um yeah so they like come out (laughs) and they're you know, they like cook meals for them. And then when Eric picks up uh, Julie for the prom, <laughs> they're like all give Eric like the stink eye and are like, make sure she gets here back on time. <laughs> what time is basically, the dance over? Yeah, he basically plays the uh, overprotective father figure in this scene. 
Which I mean, when you're the coldest in the room, <laughs> just saying, it makes perfect sense. And I love that scene where he's like, oh, yeah, you bring her back at 11. He's like, the dance is over at 12. And Miyagi's pretty much like, did I stutter? <laughs> no. He yeah. just basically said, uh, he, he's a, so I was going to bring her around one. And then yeah. he said, he said what, he's like, what are you going to do for that hour? He goes, I will treat her for with respect for that one hour. And he mm-hmm. goes, yes. Well, yeah, that was the big thing is that Miyagi just wanted to make sure that no matter what they did, that, you know, Eric was going to be respectful to Julie. So, yeah, like you said, the overprotective father that she doesn't have at the moment. And of course, while they're at the while they're at the dance, everything is going great until the alpha, alpha elite have to do dumb alpha elite shit. Because for some reason, Dugan has the alpha elites bungee cord in or bungee jump in. And they're supposed to be, I don't know, I don't know what. I don't know what the point of this was. Like, like if they're supposed to be this. Like, it just makes no sense why, like, what they're doing, it makes no, it makes no sense why this school entertains Dugan and gives him enough budget to get this group of teenagers tactical gear and then get them bungee cord. This man has way too much power and influence in this school. Like, and you want to talk about how, like... You know, you're like, oh, well, how do we give these people all this money and power? But then we think about how in real life we are militarizing our police forces. (laughs) Yes, I'm using the next Karate Kid as an excuse. (laughs) I have all my soapbox. And today we are talking about demilitarizing. (laughs) Well, the funny fucking weird thing about this is, you know, they bungee in and one of the guys... Dugan said we could do it, and one of them is like literally like has like a broken arm, and he's probably <laughs> gonna get like like that. This is a lawsuit against that school, like basically <laughs> that's gonna happen because an administrator okayed this. They all decided to do it, and the next question: Why the fuck did they decide to okay this? And what the fuck was the point of any of this? They destroyed the prom, and somebody nearly killed themselves. We literally had like a near Owen Hart situation here. Oh my god, that's actually the more appropriate wrestling because <laughs> he like eats shit. It's like when the budgie budgie rope comes in, or when he budgies down or repels down or whatever. He just like eats shit and goes through like a table or something. <laughs> I mean, again, th- these guys are definitely more evil than Johnny was. Johnny is the mo- and we're gonna see him in Cobra Kai. He's literally the most redeemable Karate Kid villain, like out of all of them, because the rest of these guys are fucking scumbags. Chosen <laughs> tried to kill Kumiko and Daniel. Well, the funny thing is, even Chosen will like. Even he'll get redeemed, but there's no fucking way that we're redeeming Mike Barnes, Terry Silver, or this motherfucker. Jesus Christ, dude. And my favorite part is the guy that breaks his arm, he immediately like gets bullied by the rest of the <laughs> Alpha Elite for being a stupid moron that broke his arm. He should literally be on his way to an emergency room as they speak. 
Oh, man. But so. the other part of this that is just completely off the fucking rails is that while this prom bungee accident is happening, at the very same time, we get, have another, like, bit that is <laughs> Mr. Miyagi going bowling with the monks. Mm. That's some good. That's some good East versus West <laughs> stuff right there, man. Get it? It's funny, dude. It's so funny. it's fish out of water. They're monks bowling. Trust me. Why aren't you laughing? It's Trust so me, funny. Bro. Trust me, bro. <laughs> like the screenwriter trying to convince someone. Trust me, bro. It's gonna be so funny. Why aren't you laughing? It's a monk that's bowling. <laughs> It's Miyagi and his like ragtag pack of monks <laughs> bowling. And of course, fucking um, Miyagi being the degenerate gambler that he always has been as seen he immediately is like, what about what what's the action here? And he challenges this other guy to bowling. And then what was it? It's like they so they think they had like 300 bucks on the line or something like that. And sure. Much, college money for Julie. Yeah. <laughs> all it is. <laughs> and then when they end up bowling, of course, we get that I love that scene. Like Miyagi, of course, he's amazing at bowling because what is he not amazing at? <laughs> Miyagi is basically a deity at this point. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's. I'm surprised Pat Morita didn't take uh, David Carradine's job in Kung Fu back in the day. <laughs> That's pretty much who he is. He just goes around handing out ass whoopings and life lessons. But my favorite part is where one of the monks does the Tom Haverford role where he all I can think of is that scene in Parks and Recs where he just comes up and like granny rolls it and just throws <laughs> All I can think of was Ron Swanson yelling at Tom Haverford, people can see you, son. <laughs> yeah. And of course, because ancient Buddhist wisdom always wins. Hey, they, you know what? <laughs> they, these are hip monks. Okay? No, go on. Yes, defend this for me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to defend it. I'm just telling you, these are hip fucking monks. They dance like to, to contemporary rock music, and they also bowl. It was that line that Miyagi has in this movie. <laughs> don't trust a monk who doesn't dance or something. No, it's a don't trust spiritual leader who doesn't know how to dance. <laughs> And it almost ends up being like he's talking about the monks, but he's also talking about himself because he's Julie's spiritual leader and he knows how to dance. I'm going to sock you in the mouth for defending this movie. I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you I like it despite how fucking awful it is. The fact that you're entertaining this bullshit just pisses me off. This movie entertained me and I was thoroughly and I thoroughly enjoyed it. For the two hours that I watched it, and you were not gonna shame me out of this. I enjoy- I thought it was a fun movie, and I'm tired of pretending I don't. <laughs> I thought it was fucking art, and if you don't like it, you can go fuck yourself. You don't like karate- the next Karate Kid? Well, you get what you fucking deserve. <laughs> Shoots you in the face. It fucking blows my brains out. <laughs> I don't know why this got so dark. So fucking stupid. <laughs> I don't know why the Joker came to mind. 
the funny part. Because you're losing your fucking mind at this point. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no, there's still plenty more of this movie for me to fucking lose my shit over. Actually, not a ton. We're no, practically this... at <laughs> the ending is where it gets most stupid. Shut up. <laughs> or most fucking awesome. So after the prom, <laughs> Eric and Julie go back to Julie's grandma's house, who again is still in California, mind you. <laughs> after they share their first kiss, Ned has to come up being a giant super douche with a baseball bat and start smashing out the windows while they're in the car. Julie ends up yes. <laughs> Miyagi and the monks come running out to try to stop him. Ned ends up uh, driving away after telling Eric that he'll be waiting for him at the docks. And if he doesn't show up, he's pretty much gonna kill him. <laughs> they have pretty much decided at this point that they are not thinking about college, they are not even thinking about tomorrow. We are now in the business of murdering people. <laughs> For the next two weeks, business is murder. Oh my god, I wish we could original joke if that wasn't a fucking line from the last movie we were. <laughs> Terry Silver wishes he was this fucking evil. Oh my god, he was just like, wait, 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 wait. He smashed his car and then set it on fire. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> fucking awesome Terry so Silver should have just hired these fucking guys I know apparently they were much better at being evil than Terry and they Terry... literally would have fucking murdered Daniel <laughs> and <laughs> we could have solved that problem like 20 minutes into the movie <laughs> alright oh, so Julie and Miyagi realize that they have to go and save Eric so they drive down to the docks where like all movie these guys have been saying that they would gang rave Julie down there in, in so many words and essentially yes <laughs> and my Do, they is that Eric challenges Ned one on one where he proceeds to get jumped but the only reason he loses the one on one fight is because Dugan has the rest of the alpha elite set fire to his car which yeah. then explodes and this place basically turns into a fucking street fighter level for like the last fight of this so this movie is the first one that does not have I mean well, I guess the death match in, in Karate Kid 2 was different from the karate tournament. But this movie is like, yeah, now we're talking about serious life or death sticks. <laughs> so we had the budget, like the big budget of all of them because we had explosions. <laughs> it's like all the budget of this movie was spent in the climax of this movie. Oh, my God. It's like we had bungee jumping for absolutely no reason. Except maybe we just wanted to use that money. <laughs> and now it's like the exploding cars budget is booming. <laughs> you almost forget this is still prom night. Because <laughs> honestly, now that you mentioned it, I forgot this all takes place on the same night. Well, the funny thing is, like, what happens the next day? I mean, what happens on Monday when people go back? Like, <laughs> one kid in the hospital you have Eric in critical condition from getting his ass beat from like six of his classmates 
you assume that Dugan is at least getting super fired on Monday? <laughs> at least super fired at most <laughs> fucking jail time. <laughs> he literally blew up somebody's car. This is fucking bike club shit. <laughs> I was- at one point and never once did I ever think of blowing up a student's car <laughs> never did you get an administrator of the school to help blow up another student's car either oh my god so Julie ends up confronting Ned and they have a face off where she's able to hold her own after you know using the karate she was taught um, Ned ends up throwing sand in her face, which I am always a huge fan of. Always throw sand <laughs> in your opponent's face. <laughs> well, it's fucking awesome because, all right, here we're talking about how he talks about how easily he's going to beat her up because she's a girl. And then he's the one who basically has to cheat to try to fight her because she was already whooping his ass. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how exactly does she beat him. Do you remember? I, I think it is the kick. It is the flying kick. Oh, that's what it was. Is she uses it because <laughs> the, the, the dirt covers her eyes, so she uses the focus Miyagi tried when he caught the or the arrow. And he she focuses and gets the tiger kick and knocks him out or you know drops him's ass. And of course Dugan was saying it's just one girl. You can all fight her at once, and they're like, nah, dude, how about you fight her? <laughs> Yeah, one Goggins is like, oh, this is pretty much over. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much <laughs> over. Could you? <laughs> it should be fucking over for all of you. You should all be in fucking jail. <laughs> and though all of them are like filled with regret, basically telling Dugan, we're not going any further than this. <laughs> it's like you set a car on fire. You committed arson. <laughs> that wasn't too far for you. <laughs> No, it was punching a girl after we've already set a fire to another kid's car. That's where we're going. So or Mi- basically Dugan saying that they're going to murder this child. So Miyagi ends up challenging Dugan where he proceeds to beat the shit out of him and finally wins. Uh, ending the fight very similarly to uh, the way Miyagi ended the fight with Kreese. And the way Daniel ended the fight with Chosen, you know, he doesn't honk his nose, but I think he just like throws him. No, <laughs> he like, like blows. He like blows like air in his face. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, he like blows air in his face, kind of like to knock him down. And he ends up falling over. Uh, the Alpha Elite end up leaving uh, Dugan, and it essentially disbands. And. <laughs> disbands this entire film or this is the only film in the entire series that i can think of at least from the originals where it doesn't do a smash cut ending Mm -hmm. because this one we get the ending of angel the hawk flying over like the ocean or whatever with a voiceover done by Frank Welker, uh, who I can only assume is supposed to be the voice of Angel the Hawk. <laughs> and that's the next karate kid. <laughs> oh, Javi, do you no. like the next karate kid? <laughs> 
I'm not gonna lie. This was uh, after talking about it and how bad shit crazy the last like 20 minutes of this movie is. <laughs> It's a fun movie to watch, but you are watching it knowing you're watching trash. <laughs> yeah, it is fucking, it's again, it's like Batman Forever. It is fucking garbage. But the nostalgia for me, and then just maybe like the fucking off the wall dumb shit that happens, it's just, it's, it's fucking wild enough that it's funny. And it just makes me laugh. It's not anywhere near the quality of Karate Kid 1, but how many movies will be of that quality? <laughs> I wasn't even expecting Cobra Kai to be that good. Yep. But this is essentially the end of the franchise for the this next movie like kills the franchise for like 20 <laughs> years. This is like for all intents and purposes like Batman and Robin of the Karate Kid franchise. And uh, it is also Pat Morita's swan song as Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> that is unfortunate, is it not? Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> Pat Morita will actually make a cameo appearance in a mo- in a direct-to-video movie from the 2000s called The Karate Dog. Fuck yes! <laughs> is that on the docket? Are we going to fucking review that? No, because he does not play Miyagi in that. He actually Aww. just makes a cameo appearance as like a completely different character. But obviously, he was asked to cameo in it because of the Karate Kid franchise. Was he in Three Ninjas? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Man, now I'm sad. I was being racist too. I know I'm racist, but the difference is I own it, and that's what makes it okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this movie does. It, this movie actually does kind of remind me of bullshit like Three Ninjas. <laughs> I actually yeah. love those movies, by the way. Between like Karate Kid, uh, Mortal Kombat, Three Ninjas, like Power Rangers, the like next Karate Kid to Mortal Kombat. <laughs> If you grew up in the '90s, it's like, how could you not be into karate? Like, I know that I. I never really did karate. I did like one day at a karate studio and I just never really wanted to go back. Mm-hmm. But then three years later, I did like two years of Taekwondo <laughs> and I got super into that. And then later in my life, I got into Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like karate was huge in the 90s because of like all the entertainment at the time. Nah, now it's Muay Thai. <laughs> That if, you want to, if you want to make your kid a badass, you put him in white tie. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, yeah, because the proliferation of MMA and stuff. But but no, definitely is an enjoyable experience to come back and talk about this movie again. It is not a good movie. I love this movie because I just have so many memories of myself watching it. And I remember... You stupid know. but i do not like this movie <laughs> i don't really recommend it unless you're a super hardcore kara- like karate kid fan but i mean there's not much to redeem it the the script is pretty bad like the writing isn't really the best um i mean i'm trying to think if anyone if there's any really like the acting's okay like that's the at the very least the good thing right is that the, you do get some pretty good actors like Hilary Swank is a good actress. Well, uh, she would become a good actor after this. I don't think she's particularly great in this either. Like it, she does feel like 
it feels like her acting as like a side character in Saved by the Bell to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's be real. This, I think you said it best. This is, for all intents and purposes, a Miyagi movie. Like, this is a Miyagi story. Mm-hmm. And like the big focus was on him as a character and kind of like how he exists in this world and how he keeps touching people's lives and how he's pretty much a, you know, fighting wizard. <laughs> But like you know, you also got you got um Michael Ironside just <laughs> being the most evil motherfucker you could ever imagine. So it's like I don't know. There there's not enough to redeem this movie for me to be like, yeah, you should go at least give it a shot. No. Like honestly, <laughs> yeah. All just right. watch Karate Kid two. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, you know, next week we're gonna be back and we're going to be reviewing. 2010's The Karate Kid. So we are actually going to get a remake of the original movie and we're going to see what Will Smith and Jaden Smith and that entire crew of people uh, ended up doing with that movie in 2010. I'm pretty excited because I haven't watched the 2010 Karate Kid movie in about eight years. So I've definitely seen more of the original movies and sequels uh, more in the years since uh, that reboot has come out. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. I am juiced. I love Jackie Chan. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go. I know. And uh, yeah, I definitely was. When I saw the trailer for it, I was like, oh, I was like, is Jackie Chan playing Mr. Miyagi? And yes and no is what we're going to find out next week. If I remember correctly, he plays Mr. Lee, which is not Mr. Han. Same oh, you just love making me out to be the racist, don't no, you? He, no, no, no. He did he plays Lee in Rush Hour. He Shut is up. Mr. Han in the Karate Kid 2010. I'm, I'm gonna karate kid your face. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a flying tiger kick. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, later, y'all.